juice, the key ingredient to healthy relationships. And the real process that we're talking through is, is this idea right here. There's a big difference between a morally good heart and a supernaturally changed heart. A couple of weeks ago, I gave this illustration, and I'm going to keep giving it to you until we get it. But the idea is this. We can pull down stuff. We can try our best, bite our bottom lip, and we can try and uh, fix a situation. We can try and add to a situation. We can try and overcome a temptation. We can try and change the, the, the look of things by sheer willpower and restraint. But the moment you stop trying, the moment you get frustrated, the moment you, you, you kind of you know, lose your cool, what happens? The moment you, you let go of a little restraint and willpower, that sucker comes right back. Many people trying to restrain thoughts, restrain temptations, restrain attitudes and emotions and just doing it on our own. The tendency is when we release, it just goes right back to normal. And, you know, we, we see this uh, little intro video on juice. So seeing him squeeze that, squeezing that orange and getting the most juice out of that orange or that, or that pomegranate. And truly, it, the way that we experience the juice, the nutrient, the key ingredient to healthy relationships is not by our own willpower, but by Jesus putting his hand on our emotions, his hand on our heart, his hand over our temptations. And it's truly that moment that causes a really changed heart. And so I invite you, if you have been doing well and then fall and then doing good and then you, you screw up again, doing good, and then, man, it comes back at you and it bites you, it could be that morally good and trying real hard just isn't enough and we need the Holy Spirit to change us on the inside out. When we have fruit in our lives that's not good, fruit that might be sour, fruit that might not be pleasing, fruit that doesn't show a Christ-surrendered life, we don't start at the fruit we start inside the bark. We start in the heart of the tree. And so even though this whole series has been about key to healthy relationships, this isn't really about illustrations on marriage and dating and, and, and how to overcome this obstacle, how to deal with conflict with your spouse. This is really has to do with the greatest relationship you will ever know, and it's got to be the epicenter of every other relationship, and that is your personal relationship with Christ and what he's doing to supernaturally change your heart one element at a time. And we, we looked at the key characteristics of a supernaturally changed heart, and those are described in the book of Galatians chapter 5 by the Apostle Paul as the fruit of the Spirit. Those are characteristics of that truly changed heart. But the fruit of the Spirit is not the fruit of willpower, not the fruit of restraint, not the fruit of biting your bottom lip. That fruit is, will you say them with me? Here we go. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a long list like to do all on your own. You just can't do it. You can kind of maybe sort of scratch the surface on these things, but you and, and, and I, we just know ourselves way too much that you can't accomplish all that list. You can't bat a thousand. You can't score a hundred. You fall short because your willpower isn't going to produce the fruit. It's the fruit of the spirit. Today, we're going to be covering this fruit, peace, peace that has to do with, with an inner calm and an equilibrium, if you will. Last week we talked about joy and happiness and suffering. 
and how the world wants to give you happiness, but happiness goes away when you deal with suffering. And the only way to understand how to really know what God's happiness is, is to understand joy. And we defined it like this. We said, we said it like this. Happiness is taking control of your life and making sure that you have favorable circumstances going on. Things are good, feels good, looks good, right? You take control so that you can ensure for yourself favorable circumstances. But suffering is when favorable circumstances go away. So your happiness gets hit in the head with a suffering when favorable circumstances go away. Then what is joy? Joy is trusting and knowing God regardless of the circumstances. It's an assurance. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a buoyancy. It's a buoyancy of knowing and trusting God regardless of whatever circumstances come my way. And so you can have joy in the middle of suffering and you can still be kind of going up and down. You can trust God. You can know and, and trust God. And still there's this, there's this thing in life that like you're, you're, you're floating on top of the water, but the water's still crazy. And what, what peace is, is it's a stabilization of heart, mind, and soul in the middle of this crazy, chaotic life. It's an it's a inner Calm and equilibrium. Now, I want you to do something with me. Would you stand up for a second? Everybody stand up. And we're going to try something. I want you to take one foot and I want you to lift it up in the air, okay? Lift it up pretty good. Don't, don't, I'm not just talking about a centimeter. I'm talking about lift it up, right? And balance. I see some of you cheating. You got your hands on the seats. Get your hands off the seats. Okay. All right. See? Now try and just stay. Just try and stay balanced. Stay balanced as much as you can. I see, I see, I'm going to call you out if you're not doing it. I'm going to call you out if you're not doing it, Mark Dunn. So, okay, now, what are you doing? Are you really, are you, what are we trying to do here? What are we doing? We're trying to balance, but actually we're not balancing at all. Here's what we're doing. We're counterbalancing. You're, you're trying to go a little right, a little left, a little forward, a little backwards, trying to move this, trying to move that. And it takes, okay, put your feet down. It takes so much effort. It takes so much effort to just do that one thing. It takes so much of your mind's focus. It takes so much of your strength to counterbalance. And what we're talking about when it comes to peace is not counterbalancing with your own mind, your own strength, your own thoughts, your own process. It comes with a leaning on Jesus, leaning in to Jesus in the middle of crazy times in our lives. You can be seated. I want you to take your worship guide and we're going to write a few of these things down. In fact, truth is very few people live with the kind of stability and equilibrium that God's peace truly brings. And as a pastor, I can see it all throughout. There are three key forces that are working against you to take your peace and then there are real three key tensions. And I didn't put these in your notes on, on your worship guide, but there are three key opponents to your peace. And they're kind of like this. It is the outside world pushing against you. It is your flesh pushing against you on the inside and the outside. Your flesh wants to do things that your spirit doesn't want to do. And your spirit, do, you know, your flesh doesn't do things your spirit wants to do. There's a war inside of you. There's a war around you. And then there is an enemy. There is a Satan. There is a, there is a real devil. Now, when I start talking about the devil, there are those of you that fall along the side of like everything in life that is bad is from the devil and the blender's not working and you're casting demons out of the blender. It's not plugged in. It's not plugged in. You're like, oh, devil, come out. 
so I can receive the goodness of that protein shake. And then there are those of you on the other side, though, which is an equally dangerous place to be, and that is where nothing is the devil. That it's kind of like a hocus pocus. If you feel like the devil isn't real, then you are in the very, 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 very small minority of humanity on this globe. There is, a, there is absolutely a foe against you, wanting nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. And so for those of you that think it's always that, you know what? Sometimes it's your flesh. Sometimes it's the outside world. Sometimes it's the enemy or a combination of all three. And what I'm asking and inviting us to do is to come with tension in between the realities of, is it the enemy, is it the flesh, is it, is it the external world? And we find our hope and, and our, our peace by really leaning into Jesus during those times. But whether it's the enemy, whether it's the world, whether it's the flesh, it kind of can, we, we can see these real huge tensions in all of us. Write these, write some of these down. When circumstances are uncontrollable. When circumstances are uncontrollable, that is a beautiful uh, uh, segue for you to, to, to give up your peace and for your peace to be stolen, to be robbed from you. When circumstances are uncontrollable. We know that life has a lot of uncontrollable circumstances. But when those circumstances come face to face with us, we tend to, to forget that. And so we, we, they control us instead of us just understanding they're uncontrollable. I mean, wait, when a flight gets delayed, we get all hot and bothered. We get all frustrated. When you're having to wait in line somewhere and it's taking too long and all you want, all you want is your Whataburger with cheese. And you're getting frustrated that the person in front of you is ordering for a soccer team. And you just blow it. You just lose it. Red lights. You just get frustrated. You, um, stuff that happens, circumstances that are uncontrollable, you, you can get all tied up in them. And that's one area that causes huge tension. And without you really even realize it, it steals a very critical element of the fruit of the Spirit from your life. Next one is when people are unchangeable. People naturally resist change. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to change. That's why going to the gym is tough. People do not naturally just say, I would love to be sharpened like iron sharpens iron. In fact, discipline isn't easy in the moment, the Bible says. But it produces this huge reward, but it ain't easy and it ain't fun at the beginning. And people, we want people to change. We want to put our spouse on that life program, on that life-altering program. We want them to just see. And you want to grab them by the nap of the neck and, I mean, look in the mirror, buckle. I mean, do you not see how you're acting? I see what you're doing. And people, unless they surrender to the heart of Christ in their life, you can take them by the ankle and drag them across the field, and they're going to be, ow, ow, hurts, ouch, Okay, okay. And then they're not going to change. Because that, that people are just unchangeable unless they're surrendered to Jesus himself and surrendered to what really needs to change in their life. Now, you might get an occasional willpower or restraint, but it all comes from a supernaturally changed heart. 
people. And we get so much of our peace stolen from us because we want them to change. And really it's about us and God, not them and God at this point. God's going to have to do what only he can do. You, you have to lean into him so that your peace isn't shaken and taken. Next one, when problems are unexplainable. We love an explanation for everything. We're wired that way. We want to know why. We grow up, not with our parents teaching us to say why. We just love to start saying why, how, how much longer, when, huh, why, why, why. It is a natural instinct for us to have explanations for situations. And when problems are unexplainable, it can rob our peace. I can't explain to you why that happened. And it happens like this. A couple wants to have a baby and they can't get pregnant. A couple wants to have a baby and they get pregnant and they miscarry. And you can't, exp you can't explain it. And we want answers. We want, we want answers to stuff like that. And someone we love gets sick or the person we said in sickness and in health for richer or poor for better or for worse till death do us part I will cherish you and they're not anymore and it's unex we can't we, we want a, we want an explanation we want it to make sense to us and can I say to you peace that passes understanding is a critical statement to understand in the word because what we want is understanding we want explanation. But he says, I'll give you peace that passes understanding. It's not just a, a real kind of sweet thing to say in a prayer. I just pray you give him peace that passes understanding. What, basically what you're saying is, God, I pray that you would give them not an explanation, but give them peace. Then no matter what they're going through, they can rest in you. They can trust you. They can have stability in you even when stuff is not explained. I don't get why good stuff happens to bad people and why bad stuff happens to good people. The Bible, said, Jesus says, it rains on the just and the unjust. And here's what's crazy. When you're trying to live your life for Christ and it starts raining on you, it's so, it's so crazy how very much more apparent it is the sun that is shining on people that aren't. <laughs> you're trying to do the right thing and do the God thing and it's pouring down a deluge. And you're looking over here and... Your unchurched pagan friend, uh, un unsaved pagan friend is, you know, running like Julie Andrews across meadows like the Von Trapp family. <laughs> and they're singing, do, do, re, mi. And, and, and you're, you're like saying, God, why, God, why? And help me, God. And you see others that are like, you know, you're struggling with the finances and you've been trusting and you've been tithing. And they're like, you know, hey, just got another promotion. And they're like living like the devil. Well, problems are unexplainable and circumstances are uncontrollable and people for the most part are unchangeable. You're just not going to change them. And when you focus on those instead of how to resolve peace in your own life and how to gain that peace that passes an explanation that goes beyond understanding, that goes beyond you just having to know because you just having to know is, is, is putting you as God. If I can just know, then I can make sense of it. Then I can intellectualize this. <sighs> That's not going to be what you need. We've heard people say, you know what? If I saw God raise the dead, 
then I would then I would start loving him. I'd start living for him. I'd go, if you take me to church and someone is it raises from the dead, then I'll start saying, you know what? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, being dead for four days. He rolls a stone away. Dude jumps out like the mummy, Ral wrapped up. And even then, people left him. They saw a miracle with their very own eyes, and they left him. Explanations don't give you peace. Jesus is who gives peace. Two fatal responses to uncontrollable, unchangeable, unexplainable situations. These are like fatal responses, and we're so good at them. Here's the first one. We dig in. I mean, we bite our bottom lip, and we say, oh, they're not going to change? Oh, the spouse is not going to change? You ain't seen nothing yet. And you dig in. Oh, what? They're not going to respect my authority as a child in my own house? Oh, oh. Kicking doors open, taking doors off the hinges. If you're not going to slam that door. Your door's going to get put in the wood chipper, you know? And I'm going to change you. And I'm going to dig in. I'm going to dig in. And on the other side, a spouse that's not living according to Scripture, surrendered to the Word of God, and the other spouse wants to do, they will dig in even deeper. And when you think you're going to push them to change, your push is just going to sink them more deeply into it because it's about God. And we cannot be God in the situation. We, gotta di we, we dig in, though. We also give in. So on the one extreme, we dig in. I mean, we put, I mean, we clench our teeth. But then we also give in. We give up. We give in. We say, forget it. I'm done. I'm tired. I tried. It's pointless. It's useless. I thought they would change. I thought the circumstance would get better. It's not controllable. I can't control it. What's going on? The, the problem will not, cannot be explained. And we just give up. And the way we give up is by, uh, we, we get lethargic. We get apathetic to the things of God. We also get this blame stuff going on. As we mentioned earlier in a series a few months ago, blame affixes the problem. It doesn't fix the problem. Blame puts the problem on something. It doesn't fix the situation. And so then we blame ourselves. We blame culture. We blame that spouse. We blame the kids. We blame the finances. We blame the situation. We blame our parents who, who raised us, our lack of a dad, our lack of a mom. Our, our, our parents didn't love us enough, didn't give us enough money. They always gave me hand-me-downs, and they never really bought me anything nice. I mean, we just blame, 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 and we just give in. We give up, and we never really find peace because those three tensions, listen, everybody, no matter how hard you serve Jesus, how faithfully you serve him, there will always be circumstances out of your control. People in your life that aren't going to change. And problems you can't explain. Just when you think you got it figured out and you're serving Jesus, one of those tensions are going to, be, are going to come and face you. And your resolve can't be biting the bottom lip and exerting enough willpower. It has to be Jesus. It has to be him moving through your life and you walking with his spirit so that we don't gratify the sinful nature. This is a statement that we love to say when things don't go the way they go, circumstances, people, and problems. We say to God, it's popular saying, do you even care? I mean, let's be, can, can we be honest with each other? 
Maybe you never said that. I have found myself in my vulnerable moments, in, in, my, in my moments of nakedness in front of God spiritually. Do you care about this? Are you listening? Do you want to give an answer here? Are you going to intervene? Some of you felt that way personally. Some of you felt that way on behalf of something going on in your life. From, from marriage to relationships to someone who's sick. I remember us crying out to God, God, we love Jamie. She's 36. God, if you don't move, she's going to die. Do you care? Do you care what we're going through? And she dies. She loved Jesus and she prayed like nobody's business and she dies and the problems aren't explained away. And I just want you to know that you're in good company when you say, do you even care? It's, it's a kind of a, it's a, it's a go-to for a lot of people, including the disciples. There's this story. In fact, we were singing the wind and waves know his name through it all, through it all. We can know him. We can, my heart is on you. And there's a story in Matthew 8 and Mark 4. It's the same story written and spoken by two different authors, Matthew and Mark. It's a story where Jesus had been ministering all day. You get on the boat to cross the lake and things go nuts. All of a sudden the storm just starts brewing and, it, and it's looking crazy. And in Mark chapter 4, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat and the boat was already filling. They were like having to start to bail water. But Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion. But Jesus was like getting a power nap in. Jesus was like. <laughs> and they woke him. The wind. I mean, some of you got little kids. It don't matter. You could be yelling, screaming, you know what? I mean, explosions. And they're just sleeping through it all. Jesus, man, he just slept. He just had peace, you know. He did, tossed by the storm, water's filling the boat, and it's not waking him. The people wake him up. The, the, the disciples, they woke him and said to him, teacher, dude, do you not care? Don't you care that we are perishing? Do, do you not even care? Do you not even see? Hello, we got like Hurricane Ike going on around here. And, you're, and you're, you, know, you, you, got your, you got your CPAP machine on sleeping in the back of the boat. And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now it says he spoke to the sea, but he didn't say, See, peace be still. He just spoke, Peace be still. And the Bible says, All creation responds to his voice. And I believe that it wasn't just talking to the waves because it wasn't just the physical waves that were being tossed in that moment. It was the emotions. It was the fear. It was the humanity that was also creation. And when he says, peace be still, he doesn't just speak to winds and waves that calm. He speaks to the hearts of the disciples on the rocky boat. Psalm 46 says, be still and know 
that I am God. Notice that it says, be still and know, not be still and feel. And I know that many of us, we want to be still and feel that he is God. But beyond what you feel, beyond what you're experiencing, beyond the circumstance, you have to be still and know being still is not easy for anybody until you're dead. But be still. Stop. Shut up. Stop trying to figure it out. Pause. Take a step back. You know, we value next steps here. And sometimes your next step has got to be a step back. Step back and just like a step of just standing still and knowing that he's God. And that he loves you. And that he's not forsaken you. And that he's not going to let the wind and the storm and the sea take you out. You can trust him. Be still and know. Jehovah Shalom. The God of peace. This is a very popular uh, name of God throughout the Bible. We have Jehovah Jireh, our provider, and then we have our uh, provider, our protector, our shepherd. We have, we have all these different names of Jehovah, and the Bible talks about Jehovah Shalom. And we use the word Shalom, the Israelites use the word Shalom uh, in their greetings when they are saying hello and where they're saying goodbye. Uh, it's like Hawaii. You're going to go to Hawaii, and they'll say aloha, and that's like hello. And when you leave, they'll say aloha. And it's like goodbye. I mean, it's like both, you know, it's both sides. So shalom, this is like the Hawaiian aloha for, for you. You know, it's like the Jewish aloha. Shalom, the God of peace. Peace be with you is what it means. Peace be with you. Most popular welcome and greeting in the, in the Bible, shalom. Why? Because God just knows how hard it is to live in peace. And every time you see someone walk through the door and every time someone walks out of the door, we all need to be reminding each other. All right, don't go, you don't have to start walking around saying shalom. You can, okay. You can, you can also be aware. Peace is critical in your life and in mine. Be praying peace over your family, mom and dad. Be praying peace over that troubled situation, friend. Be praying peace be with them. Peace with us. God with us, Emmanuel, Jehovah Shalom, the peace that can be with us. Jesus says to the disciples, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. When he's about ready to ascend into heaven, he's going to give us the Holy Spirit as the greatest gift he could ever give. And listen, how arrogant is it of us to think that a gift that God said, I want to give to you that we could live without. He says, I'm going to give you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't fragile like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. And so let's talk about that pathway to peace, to experiencing that peace that isn't fragile like the world wants to offer. What are some steps we can take? What, what do we have to do? What kind of mindset do we have to take so that we can be in the position to receive a supernaturally changed heart when it comes to peace? Here they are. Number one, I got to accept what cannot be changed. You, you have to accept that there are certain things that just cannot be changed. And as joy gives you a buoyancy in life, peace gives you a stability that even when things are out of your control, he gives me peace that passes control. 
passes understanding. Look, I have learned in Philippians 4, Paul says, I've learned to be satisfied with the things I have and with everything that happens. That's a hard lesson to learn. Satisfied with the things I have and with everything that happens. I know how to live when I'm poor and I know how to live when I have plenty. Some of you have experienced both. I have learned the secret of being happy at any time and everything or the secret of being content is the word there in the Greek. And then he goes on to give us the most, one of the most popular statements that you see written underneath football players' eyes in black and white, on tennis shoes, on T-shirts, people running marathons. We, this scripture is written all over all that paraphernalia, or paraphernalia, I don't know, paraphernalia, all over that, that, that performance wear. Here's what it says. <laughs> Wrong word. I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. And so what's that, what that has become is like this, you know, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. It becomes a t-shirt, uh, you know, motto. But here's what he's saying. I've been rich. I've been poor. I've had horrible circumstances come my way. Stuff that I can't explain. Stuff that I can't change. And yet I've learned the secret of being happy at any time and everything. I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. It's all about contentment and true peace. It's not about you saying, you know what, I got a goal to, you know, raise this much money or run this marathon or do this. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. No. It's about can you be content when you don't hit your goal? Can you, can you find peace when you don't accomplish what you set out to accomplish? Can you be stabilized in him, not stabilized on the circumstances that went south? when you wanted them to work out except what cannot be changed. Some people are living wishing they could change the past <laughs> and they, they have this huge windshield in front of them and they live life looking in the rear view. You ever try to drive your car forward looking in the rear view? I mean, just get ready for a wreck. Get ready for catastrophe. The windshield is bigger than the rear view for a reason. <laughs> because that's got to be the focus. You cannot accept. You've you, you got to be able to accept what you just can't control and what you can't change back here. Look forward. God forgives. Embraces forgiveness. But start now. Start fresh. It's already too long. It's too done. It's too long. It messed up too much. Whatever. Stop. Stop it. Be still. And know. That even right now, I am God, and I'm going to wipe it away and give you a fresh start. Be still and know. Number two, trust in God's loving care. The word trust has been in so many of our points this year. I just feel like it's, a, it's almost a message for our church. As I look through slides of, of previous sermons, the word trust is coming up so often it's because we love to trust in ourselves. We love this. The Bible says some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, some trust in the other elements of life to get us through. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. And you've got to trust that his care outweighs the circumstance, that his love is stronger than the unexplainable happening in your life. Isaiah 26, you, Lord, give true peace to those who depend on you because they trust you. I can challenge you that if you're not really trusting, you're not really experiencing peace. And 
we will try and give ourselves a shot of that peace that's temporary. But it doesn't really have long-lasting effects if we use temporary means, temporary um, uh, stuff that makes us feel good, gives us euphoria, uh, you, you, you name it, from an addiction to a substance, to sex, to being right, to, to spending the money and feeling like you're in control of your life and you got no money to spend, but you pull that credit card out anywhere, anyway, and it just, at least I can just, I can make myself feel happy because I get this, it just happens all the time. It does. And it's not trusting in his loving control. It's trusting in what we can do and what we can benefit and how we can gain. Look, you have a list of problems in your life. What is problem number one? I want you to think about it. What's problem number one in your life right now? Now, if you can't think about one, ask your spouse, right? Um, you're the problem. Uh, <laughs> you may be the problem. Um, think of like oh, the problems you have. Can I just say something to you? Life is like a journey through problems. That's what life is. You journey through the ups and downs. You journey through the roller coaster. Life has problems. And as soon as you accomplish problem number one, guess what? Problem number two has been waiting in line. And problem number two graduates to your number one problem. And once two, three, and four, and five are done, guess what? Problem six is like, I thought I'd never get a chance to be the main deal. <laughs> and problem number six, like, I'm number one, I'm number one. Because life, the moment you get rid of that problem, there's going to be another problem waiting in line. And so peace is not the absence of problems. <laughs> Peace is an awareness of the presence of Jesus in the middle of our problems. Are you hearing me this morning? We can trust him. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about some stuff. No, wait, wait, that's not what it says. Instead, pray about what? Everything. Tell God your needs, and then here's a critical component to it. Tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank him for his Answers. Why is that so critical? Because many times we're not willing to listen to God unless he gives us the answer we want. And if we will cast our cares on him, pray about everything, and tell God his needs, and in the middle of it, thank him for his answers before you even get the answer. It keeps you afloat and stable because all of his answers are always yes and amen. They're, they're the right answers. God's answers are right, right answers. But God's answers aren't always on your timeline and aren't always the way you want them to be answered. And when we can thank him in advance, even for the answers that we get that isn't what we were even praying, for, it keeps our heart in the position of leaning and trusting and, and, and relying on his control and his care and thanking him in advance. If you do this, you do that, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. Number three, lean in with glad surrender to God's loving control. Do you know the real reason why you're in turmoil and I'm in turmoil? It comes back to the question that really even starts in the Garden of Eden. The reason why you're in turmoil and I'm in turmoil is this, this one simple question, and it's this. Who's in charge? Verse 
Who's in charge? For Adam and Eve, they, they wanted to take on their own understanding of godliness. They wanted to have their own pursuit of godliness. And because it looked pleasing to the eye and it was good for food and good for gaining wisdom, they chose to be the one in charge. And they chose the wrong fruit from the wrong tree. And when it comes to all of life situations, it comes back to who's in charge? My emotions, my commitments. Maybe, maybe if my emotions aren't in charge, maybe my commitment should be in charge, right? So that's like a, sale, a, 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 a fail safe. That if my emotions are telling me to do this and it's counterintuitive to covenant relationship or it's counterintuitive to biblical uh, truth, then maybe just the commitments that I've made, maybe I bite my bottom lip and I'll just avoid it. And that can be a fail safe, right? <laughs> Even Jesus says it like this. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I've said... Don't, don't even lust after a woman in your heart. See, what God shows us is there are certain things of rules you just don't break. But he's saying it's just not about breaking the rule. It's not about walking up to the line of the rule. It's about backing off of that and giving yourself some space, giving yourself some margin, giving yourself some guardrails to say, you know what, even here I'm going to watch myself. And so when we really want to have peace in our lives, it comes down to a glad surrender to God's loving control saying, I'm not in charge here. I'm not in charge here. Jesus, you're in charge. Jesus, you're Lord. Not just my Savior who saves me, and I'm very thankful. Everybody likes to be pulled out of a, you know, everybody wants a George Bailey to pull him out of the icy water and save him, you know. Everybody appreciates that. I appreciate a Savior. It's the Lord thing that's tough for people. He wants to be your Savior, rescue you out. But he also wants to be your Lord that guides you day by day, surrendered. Now, when I first wrote this, I just said lean in with surrender to God's love and control. Make sense with the other ones, you know, accept what you cannot. But I added the word glad because surrender sounds so like, okay, I give up. Like a surrender is a giving up. Right, And it's actually a surrender beyond your own will. Like when you say surrender, it's not because you want to surrender. It's like, ah, shoot, they're going to they're gonna get me, you know. They're going to get me with the paintball gun or whatever. Surrender. Hands up. Freeze. Oh, man, I can't run. They're going to tackle me. Put me in the back of the police car. Some of you, I'm getting way too close to home right now. <laughs> but you know what a glad surrender is? It is just saying Yes, I cannot do it on my own. Yes, I I'm tired of looking for the answers. Yes, I'm tired of, of, of dragging myself through the guilt and the shame every single day. And ha, with a breath of fresh air and relief, I gladly surrender to the Savior and Lord because I make a very poor substitute for being Lord of my own life. My emotions... My temptations, they make a horrible substitute for your Lord. And many people are lorded by those things. Gladly surrender to his control. He's in charge. Romans 8, Paul says, if a person's thinking is controlled by his sinful self, then there is death. 
But if his thinking is controlled by the Spirit, then there's life and peace. This is not in your notes, but I want you to write this down. The evidence of a surrendered life is always obedience. The evidence of a surrendered life is not a feel-good service where you walk out of this service and you feel better about yourself. I hope you all feel better. But can I tell you that surrendered life is not about, I had a moment that felt good. I kind of shaked it off. I got my praise on. And now let's let's go back to living without the fruit of the Spirit in my life. The surrendered life is the evidence. The, the, The evidence of surrendered life is obedience. Saying, okay, God, not my will, but thine be done. Yours, your will instead of my will. Look at this. This is love for God. To obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. This is a slide we've shown every single week in this series. But the truth is, some people, you are burdened by his commands. You are burdened by his commands. I can be and have been burdened by his commands. And if he says his commands are not burdensome, then he's not lying to me. So what's wrong? It's that I might be trying to just obey his commands to get to God versus I start with just loving God and glad surrender to his will in my life. And it's out of that glad surrender. Many people don't mess up and don't make critical mistakes after years of faithful service to God. Not not because they just have all of a sudden become a bad person, all of a sudden become some kind of wretch. I think it's that over time we stop gladly surrendering daily to him and over the course of time over the course of time we drift into decisions that we make and we look and we say oh my god how did i let this happen and it didn't start because you were a bad person who never didn't hear enough sermons i believe it started because there was a drift from glad surrender and slowly but surely we want to be in charge but if we can start with love for God and stay surrendered to that his commands are more easy they, his, his yoke is, 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 is easy his burden is light those who love your teaching will find true peace and nothing will defeat them. Romans 5, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. But I want to show you as we end, peace with God is a whole different thing than peace in God. You will never have peace in God if you don't first make peace with God. Because making peace with him doesn't happen by us biting our bottom lip and getting our ducks in a row and getting everything worked out. It's not by willpower and restraint. We have been made bright in God's sight by faith because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. And when we can remind ourselves daily of what he paid for our freedom, It causes more glad surrender and the cycle is a beautiful cycle of having more hope and more joy and more peace and it helps us walk by the Spirit. And so our time of response now is for two things. Peace with God and peace in 
God. Would you close your eyes?